Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. We've had a lot of accidents lately, and one of the things we're seeing on social media again and again and again is um, this pilot was hurt. Unfortunately, they didn't have enough insurance or the right kind of insurance, which is totally understandable. It's a very nuanced space, and they keep moving the bar on us, and it can be very tricky to get the right thing, and it really depends on where you're from. Depends a little bit on where you're going, but if you go to my website and just put in the search term insurance, there's a blog article. I have really researched this. I've worked with uh, IMG Signature and Global Rescue on this very thing. There are other options. From what I can tell, they're all pretty similar. This one I know works. You can get the combination of the two in just a few minutes for just your trip or for the year. It costs less than a buck a day for Global Rescue. But there's a lot of confusion with what's what, what do I need? And there's a you know, very common theme is, oh, it's A, too much money, or B, this isn't going to happen to me. We got to get over this. Uh, it happens to the best of the best, and it happens to everybody else in between. If you are in a different country and you pound in hard and you need this, it's going to fall on your family or your community to get you home if you don't have it. And that's just totally irresponsible. You can't do it. Uh, you've got to get this stuff, and you're going paragliding on the other side of the world, especially if you're going to remote places. If you're going to India, if you're going to Pakistan, if you're going to China, um, there's a lot of places you can go where you're going to need a heli evac, and those are expensive no matter where you are in what country. So, two things, uh, and you can find the link to this. It takes you to the place where you can get them both right from my website, cloudbasedman.com. Go to the insurance, read the article, follow the links. Please, please, please get this. Uh, we don't want to be spouting about this on social media. It's not good for the sport. And we also don't want to be putting our families in this in these terrible situations that are already really stressful enough. So briefly, the, the difference between the two, travel insurance slash medical insurance is medical, you know, it covers lost bags and flight delays and all that kind of stuff, stolen stuff and that kind of thing. But it also covers medical if you need a medical procedure where you get hurt. So, you know, you're down in Columbia, you snap an ankle, you got to go get surgery, uh, you got to get it before you get home for whatever reason, uh, that's going to cover that. Those usually have a cap. Different ones are different. The IMG signature is 100,000. You can burn that up pretty quickly, obviously. But if you have the other one and you're not totally unstable, you can get home for a surgery. This is the other one is the one to, that to me is in some ways even more important. And that's Global Rescue. This works in any country. It's 329 bucks for an entire year but you can also get it for just your trip. So it's very cheap. That will get you home uh, back to your hospital where you live, which is nice for your family and your community to help you through your recovery, of course. So you want to be able to get home. That's where uh, if you've got something real unstable or if you need a bad surgery and you got to be transported by private charter or, or helicopter or something, the dollars go, you're, you're in the six figures in no time. So that Global Rescue has a $500,000 cap. That's going to cover almost everything. Uh, it's going to cover search and rescue. You can even link your inReach. You can't do this with Spot because you need two-way communication with Global Rescue. So you can call, you know, you can activate Global Rescue with a cell phone or satellite phone, but you can also activate it with your inReach because you've got two-way with your inReach. So when you're more than 100 miles from home, you can you, you set that up with your inReach and just activate 
uh, Global Rescue with your inReach. So pretty handy there. Again, this is all on the website. This is in the thing. Please don't be that person that doesn't get this. If you're traveling to go paragliding, this can happen. It happens all the time. It happens to at the, every level of pilot. I see it over and over and over again. And it's super tragic if you don't have the coverage. The coverage is really, it's very <laughs> cheap insurance. So Please get it. If you have any questions, reach out to me uh, via the website and I'll send you more information, but it's on the website. Thanks. I was contacted recently, uh, right after the X-Alps by a, a pilot in Switzerland who really recommended I sit down with Laurent Barella, who runs the Verco Fly. They just did their 11th one in August. Kriegel, of course, won again. And uh, amazing race that the Iger Tour that Michael Vichy, who I raced with in 2015, modeled his tour his race after so this is a hike and fly race that uh you stay in the huts at night yeah this one the verico flies on in you know takes place in the rhone and uh, up and down the rhone it's an awesome race if you haven't seen the videos for this check out the show notes for this for this episode and watch those videos there's one by kriegel that's just awesome that really shows why he's so good at what he does and there's also a, a general one from you know they had drones and they had a you know they did a really good job uh, filming this this edition of the race so go check that out they had really good weather high base a lot of flights so so yeah, there's, this race is judged on the number of huts you get to. There's eight, and uh, you could do it any way you want. There's no set course, and it's also judged by three, you're supposed to get three flights a day, and that's kind of judged on on X contest distance. So of course you get more a better score for an out and back or an FAI. Awesome concept. Uh, there's no supporters, so it's kind of like the no bull X Alps. Uh, really dig this. I really, really, really want to do this race. I've been watching it for years. Uh, Kriegel did it on a tandem for many years, uh, and then then he decided, no, no, I need I need to win this. So of course he's won the last couple, I believe. But anyway, this is a great episode with a really passionate pilot who has just kind of devoted his life to flying. And uh, in, there in Switzerland, he's an instructor. He has some great advice for newer pilots, uh, both just in general and also those that are kind of thinking about getting into this whole hike and fly game. So yeah, a lot here, uh, some fun stuff and a great race that I encourage you to check out. So please enjoy this talk with Laurent Varela. Laurent, it's so wonderful to have you on the cloud-based mayhem. I was I was thrilled to get this email uh, from a friend of yours just recently recommending to get you on the show because uh, I've been I've been watching the Verico fly and of course uh, Kriegel, the master who I've raced with now three times, and uh, I see him at the beginning of the race and then I never see him again. And it sounded like it was kind of the same at the at the Verico fly. So I can't wait to talk to your talk to you about your race and what was the kind of catalyst for for making that happen and. Uh, uh, I'd love to come over and actually compete in it maybe one of these days. So I'm excited to hear about that. But I thought before we get into the Verico Fly and in, in your race and your uh, how you put that together, just by talking a little bit and introducing the audience to you and your your history and, and how you got on, into all this. I Before we started recording, you were telling me that uh, your wife has been very kind to let you... <laughs> <laughs> uh, kind of let let paragliding take over your life. So how how is how does paragliding fit into uh, who you are and, and what you do? Hey, paragliding. I started paragliding in two thousand and one. 
I was I was living in Geneva at that time and just looking at the Salev that the mountain just behind uh, behind Geneva and looking at the paragliders flying down. Uh, at that time, I was more into um, let's say mountaineering, not not high mountain, but walking in the mountain, and it really pissed me off to f- to walk down. And I, <laughs> the idea was to fly down, and I. I had a look at the school, a paragliding school in, in Geneva. But then I I found a flyer in a bar in Nanda, in Valais, uh, where I come from. I come from a valley in, in the Swiss Alps. And the flyer was saying, okay, you can start flying quite rapidly, easily. And I called the guy and this guy convinced me to start. And I started to fly uh, nearly simultaneously with the my first child coming. <laughs> wow. So, and, uh, uh, yeah, so it started to be really like, uh, like a drug, uh, like, uh, I've been addicted quite, quite rapidly <laughs> and I was living in Geneva and at a certain time I had to, to choose if I wanted to stay in Geneva or maybe go to the States. That was an idea at that time. I had a job that I could move to the States. But as my first child was coming, uh, I said, no, okay, I stay in Geneva. And I found a job in, in, in Valley, actually, where I come from. And uh, uh, that brought me closer to paragliding sites. And I even chose to live in Vercorin, which is a small village in the mountain uh, where I can fly down to my job. So, uh, yeah. Paraglide had a lot, a big impact on my, on my life. <laughs> when you, when you kind of discovered paragliding in, in 2001 and you had your, your child coming for that, you know, that your, your first child was the, was the risk of paragliding something you really knew about already? I mean, did you know that this was something that, uh, you know, could, could, uh, could, get, could, <laughs> you could have an accident or, or something worse. Did that play into the conversation with your, mm. with your wife or did that play into how you approached flying? Oh, I, I for sure. I, I knew that it, there is a risk doing paragliding. If you are in the air, uh, there is, yeah, there is a risk. I knew that, uh, but I was, let's say used to, to this to those risks because I was doing also motorbike and, and other stuff like that. Uh, and I think for me, risk is part of the life. Uh, you have to, to minimize it, but you, for me, honestly, it's more dangerous to, to drive a car and drink, uh, and, and smoke and, and the risk is less, um, direct, but there is a risk also. And I prefer the kind of risk linked to paraglide and this other, other risks that are less clear. I don't know if I'm clear. I'm yeah, clear I know that's that it, you but, said it, you said it perfectly. Your, your kids then are, uh, I guess the, the first one's 18 or so do, do your children fly? Do you have more than one? How many kids? I have two. I have, uh, my, my son is 19 and my daughter is, uh, 16, uh, will be 16. Um, the, the, the boy, uh, started to fly quite early and he made like uh, 60 flights uh, by himself, but he was, he was 15 or something like that, six, 16 years old. And then he stopped, uh, he has other priority in his life <laughs> ah. uh, than paragliding. Paragliding in where I live 
is for for the fathers and mothers. <laughs> <laughs> I know we we've got to fix that about this sport. Too, too many it's, people it's... are flying, and, and the children are thinking that uh, it's mandatory for them to fly, which is not the case. <laughs> right, right, right. Of course, yeah. This is a this is a problem in the sport. Isn't it's my it? we're patient, not... not not their patient. Yeah, we're we're not attracting enough youth to the sport <laughs> either. You know, when you go to a comp or something, it's you know, it's guys like us. <laughs> it's not the, yeah. it's not the young kids anymore. Um, so tell me now where, where do you still, do you live in, in Vallis now or where do you live now? Yeah, I live in Vallis, in Vercorin, a small ski resort in the middle of Vallis, uh, between Sion and, uh, above Sierra. I don't know if, if you yep. can see where it is, not sure. far from Montana, Zermatt, really in the middle of the Alps. Yeah. Just oh. so, so just on the North side from Verbier, right? Uh, I would say on the east side of Verbier, yeah. S- same same side of the valley, the, the yes. on, on the on the left side of the valley, but a little bit uh, toward the German part of uh, Valis. Yeah. Okay. And so, tell me, let's get into the Verco Fly. So that's why it's called Verco Fly because that's the village you live in, I guess. So you exactly. is, it, is, it, <laughs> is it is it does it model a bit? And I'm I'm sorry, I did a little bit of research on this, but. Uh, you know, I, I didn't find too much in English. So, and, you know, of course, cause I'm American, that's all I speak. Right. So, <laughs> but, uh, the, the, it seems like it's modeled similarly to the Iger tour to Michael Vichy's correct. It, 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 okay. it, it goes yeah. around the, uh, the huts. Yeah, exactly. But if I, if you want to be fair with Verkofly, um, Mikhail Vichy came to the Verkofly and ask me if he could do the same. <laughs> right, right. Yes, it's the opposite. In fact, <laughs> right. You're, you started it. You started it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. brilliant. So, so the turn points are are the huts. Exactly, and there is a, a reason behind that. Uh, everybody knows the, um, the Red Bull X Alp, of course, started in two thousand and three for the first edition, um, and it was nearly the only. I can fly race that people knew at that time. Uh, you, do you mind if I make a little bit history for the Vaco fly? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> more the better. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, in 2009, I participated for uh, in the, my first uh, I can fly race. It was in south of France. The race is, was called still exists uh, Trans Dromoise. It's, uh, oh, the, it's, yeah, the Dormeuse. Yeah. Okay. Dorm, oh, wow. I, I don't know if you heard about this race. Of course. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it was created by Delphine P at that time. And it was a nice concept, uh, where you had to, or to walk or to fly, but the idea was to fly as much as possible. And that would give you more point than mm. walking. So it was a lot of strategy. You had to stop when it was not flying and move only when it was flying. Uh, and you had to reach different, uh, you had a starting point and, um, and, a, uh, um, finishing point and, and you had to reach this finishing point, not the first, but, uh, having flying the more on, on, on the, on the way mm. that was a, that was a trans And it was in, I think in May, 2009. And I really enjoyed this race. It was, it was really new for me because I was just making cross country and never really thought about, um, I can fly race except Xalp, looking at the Xalp. And I say, ah, that's very nice. I, I have to do something similar in my region, but I don't want to, uh, to have, um, uh, say an assistant, someone right. that has to come and follow you and give you the food and the tent and everything that I, I, for me, it's, uh, it's, 
it's I don't like that. I, I mm-hmm. prefer to do it alone and don't bother someone else just to follow me. And uh, so I thought about it and I realized that around the place where I live, there are many huts and we can rely on those huts uh, for the food, for the night, and also for the security. So the huts, and, and if you have huts, you don't need assistance. So mm. I say, okay, I have to make a race using the huts that are in my region. And that, that, that was the beginning of this race, the race, uh, yeah, Vercofly, which is a race toward the huts. And do you, do you set the course? Uh, cause I kind of watched the Iger, Iger tour this year. Cause I, I had just finished the X Alps and I was, I was mm-hmm. pretty tired. My feet were pretty trash, but I really had wanted to go do it. And, uh, but then my, my feet were, were, weren't in good enough condition. So I, mm-hmm. I couldn't go do it, but the, uh, the, I, I watched it a bit and it seems like they, they make the course the morning of the race, depending on the weather. Is that how you do it? No. That's the second point in uh, work of life. I, I wanted a race that is possible even if the weather is not good. Okay. So it's a race that you can do by walking or flying. And the concept changed a lot during the time uh, uh, from the first edition to the 11th edition this year. We had 11th work uh, of life already. Um, but the, the difference between Aigatur and Vercofly is Aigatur, you have, um, um, no, if you want, you have to follow a track, Earth um, 1, Earth 2, Earth 3, and so on. And you have to go in an order. For the Vercofly, you have eight Earths, and you can catch them when you want, depending on where you are or ah, what is brilliant. your strategy. So yeah. you don't have to follow a path that really give a lot of fun for the participant. But it's very complicated for the person looking at the at the race because they don't understand what the what the guys are doing. But the, uh, <laughs> so the it's, hard, uh, it's hard for the fans, but it's brilliant for the for the athletes. Exactly. For I the fans, it. it's a nightmare. You don't understand what is going on. Because <laughs> yeah, who's, who's winning? In every direction, everybody <laughs> differently. But for the for the participant, it's quite nice. And the idea is you, to make the, the the ranking. First, you have to do all the odds. So if you, if you did, uh, eight huts, uh, you will always win someone who did seven or six huts. So ah, first, even if, the they, huts. even if they do it faster, but if you get, yeah, it's, exactly. it's, so it's, it's the number of huts. Okay. Got faster it. It's not interesting. You have to do all the huts, ah, but okay. what will make the difference is not the huts because most of the good pilot will do all the eight huts. What will make the difference is how many kilometers you have declared during the four days. You have to declare your flight on X contest. And every day we take for each pilot the three longest flights and we sum the, the points. And mm. at the end, uh, it's a number of kilometers that has been flown during the four days that will make the difference. Mm. Okay. Basically. So, so it's based. Uh, you have to make the eight huts. We rely on the earth for the security, for the food and everything. But then you have to fly as much and as far as you can. For example, this year, uh, Patrick von Kennel, Pedal, flew until Andermatt, which is 100 kilometers away from the Verco flies, just to make a long flight. Because the weather conditions were, so, were so nice that he has been able to fly long way out and back to the huts. 
Ah, brilliant. Okay, so it's so it's that combination of number of huts and distance yeah. in the air. So, well, what do you mean by you have to declare your distance before? So he had to. He no, no, had not before. Not before. Oh, After oh, oh, uh, at okay. the end of the day, you just upload your track on ah, each contest. Okay, and it. it will give you the point, and we collect the point to make the ranking. Okay, and do you get so extra it's very, points? It's by... very important for the pilot to think where they are at what time to make the best flight possible, uh, because as you know, an FIE triangle will give you more points than a straight line. So you have to think uh, what kind of flight you will do during the day. But this is a job of each pilot to be in the better position for a nice F, F, uh, FAI triangle to declare more kilometers, more points. So one of the things I, I didn't really understand about the the Iger tour, so it would be the same for, for years, and, you know, that time of year, the huts are really busy. How, how do you, uh, do you just, re- do you just block off a number of rooms at all eight huts for the, for so the course of the race? We do that at the end of August, normally between, yeah, between 15 and 30 of uh, August 30th. And normally it's okay because we do the race, uh, the, the pilot will sleep in the huts on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Okay. So at that time of the year, it's okay. okay. Uh, and and then we book, uh, we, we have a collaboration with all those huts and we booked some places for our pilots. So we know that even if all pilots will reach the same hut the same day, they should find a bed. But normally uh, you have five, 50 pilots and they will spread in all the field. So you, you have some huts that are more interesting in terms of positioning for the next day for the for the for flying so you know you you will get maybe 20 25 pilots in one hut but not more Hmm. so i i have a lot of listeners that you know are inspired by races like yours and borns to fly and of course you know the x alps because it gets all the media attention and everything and they say how do i how do I get into hike and fly? How do I get into bivy? What what would be your recommendation for lower hour pilots uh, who who want to participate maybe someday in the Verco fly? Hmm. To participate in the Verco fly, you have you have two category. Uh, the cate- one is like uh, let, uh, we say competition category, and for that you have some. Um, criteria to be accepted and they, they are quite high. Uh, those criteria, you have to be a mountain guide or a paragliding instructor or have been, having participated to like an Ixalp or finished in the, I, uh, let's say it's, uh, maximum intense position of a recognized hike and fly race. So okay. we put, we put the le- bar quite high, the, the level to, to enter in competition mode. Uh, and this is because of the responsibility that the organizer have when they do this kind of race. You have to be able to prove that your participants are specialists in their domain in case of accidents. So if they are specialists, you are not responsible if they are an accident. It's, it's bad, but it's like that. You mm-hmm. need a high level pilots to, to, not to be responsible. And you have the other uh, category, which is, uh, we call it, we call it adventure, but there is no ranking in that category. And, um, 
we collect the point and everything, but there is no ranking oh, and great. less less pressure on the competitors. Mm. And that's that also uh, a question of responsibility because in Switzerland, if you organize this kind of race, what make a race uh, to be considered as uh, dangerous? It's if you have a ranking and uh, and some rules that put uh, your participant uh, under pressure. So if you have no ranking, you are less responsible in case of accident. Hmm. So it's a bit strange, but when you organize that, you really have to think if you're responsible or not in case of accident, because when you have 50 person in the mountain like that, uh, it's a nightmare. Uh, and, and really put a lot of pressure on the back end of the of the organizer in case of accident. Do and you, we have to we have to reduce that to the minimum possible. So um, having no ranking removes some pressure because you don't care if you are in front of this guy or not, and you will not take stupid decision just to to win one position. You understand? Mm. And, 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 and the pro like, uh, like Paddle or Kriegel or those guys, they are, they know what they do in case of, yeah, they are, they are responsible. And, mm. and you said it's 11th edition. So you do it every year. Yeah. And it, do you, is this something you just do because you're so, you're so passionate about it or is it something, are you able to, uh, make some money doing it or is, do you have enough sponsors <laughs> that kind of fund it or is it something you can, um, no, no, the, the, really it's because of it's a passion. Yeah. Um, honestly, uh, we, we don't, do, we don't do money with Sparkofly. We lose a little bit of money every year, but the, uh, the idea is to, it's more communication, uh, process. Yeah. We use Sparkofly to, um, also to, for, for newspaper and, and even TV that they speak about us, they speak about Vercorin, about Twister. It's, it's a market, it's a marketing event for us. We have sponsors that help us but no sponsor that give us money. So we have to, we have to ask the participant to pay what they cost basically. Uh, and it's quite expensive because we have three nights in Hertz. We have one night, uh, for, um, in Vercorin. We have, uh, all the, all the dinner, all the breakfast, we have the security tracking system and everything. So, the the registering fee is quite quite uh, quite high for the pilots. It's for 425 Swiss francs. That make a little bit less than four. I mean, why well, 400 dollars something like that? It's quite quite that, expensive. That covers your yeah. your nights in the hut too. Yeah, yeah, to everything. So oh, the pilots that come and cheap. pay that will pay nothing else. It's it's uh, it's. Um, all included. I mean, he, he will pay if you want to drink something, yeah, uh, yeah, of alcohol, or, or just for the for for midday for for the um, uh, the, the lunch at midday. He, he will have to buy some food in in the huts. But we provide everything from the yeah the night, the food in the evening, the breakfast, everything. And there's there's fifty participants. That's the max. That's what you cap it at. Um, the first edition, we were 18 <laughs> yeah. and this year we were 50. We have been up to 60, uh, 50 is a good number. And how many, yeah. how many are in competition versus adventure? Half, half. Half, half. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. 
Wow, it's just it's such a cool concept. It's fantastic. You're the film. It's mostly, I believe, it's mostly Kriegel's footage. Uh, the film on your website no. is no, it's no, not? no, 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 no. It's huh. a big mix. Kriegel is maybe. Oh, I think have you you have seen the one that uh, last uh, fifteen minutes, something yeah. like that. Yeah, the long one. That, that's the film that we do during the race, and we that we show to the pilot at the pilot uh, huh. dinner the last last day. So it's really a. Film that is done quickly uh, during the race, uh, but if you look, Kriegel is only maybe five minutes on the film. Uh, we took pictures from uh, and movie from everyone. We are two guys with camera, with camera, with drone, and we make pictures from everyone. It's just brilliant. Ah, it's beautiful. Uh, it's really a really really nice film, and I mean some of uh, some of the top landings are, you know, you're like, oh, well, that that's got to be Kriegel. <laughs> They're just so so. If, yeah, there is uh, may, maybe you are talking about the movie that uh, Kriegel did. Well, I, uh, saw, I saw one that I thought it was like five minutes, but it's uh, that, that, that's Kriegel one. That's ah, Kriegel, okay. Only okay. Kriegel one. But you should see the other one. Kriegel okay. took a camera on his um, on his um, helmet, and he filmed every I think landing. Yeah, it was. Uh, God, there's five some... minutes. It's Kriegel. You 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 should see the other one from the Verco flights. More every Everybody. every person, and we have uh, we have uh, like drones, and we have very nice nice pictures. It's quite long because it's made for the pilot at the end of the mm. race. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, no, I didn't see that one. Then I saw I saw Kriegel's. Okay, so was... you, you saw the one from Kriegel, yeah, which is really impressive because <laughs> Kriegel, as you know, is using the this kind of landing. Um, I don't know in English how do you say just straight on the on the fly, slope. Yeah, we call it fly yeah. on the wall, like the hang gliders okay, used fly to on do. The wall. You know? Yeah, we, yeah, which we, we use a lot more than before because Kriegel is giving uh, yeah some we can see him doing it, so we want to try. But you don't have to land every time like that. Kriegel is really pushing uh, very yeah, yeah. hard on. He's, he's, uh, I mean, you, you watch that and you go, yeah, okay. That's why he wins the X-Alps every year. (laughs) You don't have to do that, uh, at the Verco fly every time. The reason he's doing that is because he wants to declare three flights a day. So if, uh, sometimes you have to, to end the flight, uh, before to start the second one, uh, for example, if you make a triangle and once you have done the f- triangle, you have to land to declare this triangle. If you go for another flight and you don't land before, it will make only one flight and you will lose points. You understand? I understand. Yeah. So that's why, that's so, why in his so film, he has to land at the best place and the best place is most often the highest place on the flight. So he land at mm. 3000 on the slope like that switch on, switch off the um, GPS and start again. Right. Uh, that that makes sense then because in, in quite a bit of the footage, he, he obviously was taking off from exactly where Same he had place. just landed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. That, that's yeah. the reason. Okay. Yeah. So tell me, uh, it, it, kind of back to the question about, you know, skill building and, you know, a lot of the listeners, uh, you know, tune into this podcast because they're trying to become, you know, better pilots, but for the, you know, kind of the ENB, uh, maybe ENC pilots that are, you know, 
kind of pushing into cross country and they're starting to do their first, you know, 20, 50, 75 K flights and that kind of thing. Well, how would you, because you've had this long history in flying and you did your first race, uh, down in the, the dorm use with a hike and fly, what would you recommend for them to, to really start learning and skill building to be able to come participate at, at the adventure level in your race? You know, what, what are the kind of so, minimum yeah. skills that, that's, that a pilot yeah. would need to, because really, you know, uh, hike and fly, you don't have to top land like Kriegel's doing. You can exactly. land down in the bottom yeah. of the, you know, there's ways to make it much safer, but it's still, you know, yeah. bivy and hike and fly is kind of at the extreme end of our sport, really, in terms yeah. of, uh, it's certainly so racing. If you participate to the, to the adventure category, you, you can do it um, with, like you said, NB skills. Um, you don't have to be a top pilot, but what is really important is that you you have to you have to know uh, what are uh, what is your level and not trying to do what the other are doing. And this is not a skill that you can learn. It's it's really linked to how you how you are as a pilot. If you can take it softly, not 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 giving too much and that that is difficult in a race is not going above your your limit um but to participate in the vehicle fly if you choose an, a nice takeoff because you will find nice takeoff everywhere but you will have to walk a little bit more maybe if you choose to land down in the valley you will find fields and nice landing spot so you can do it safely even with um limited skills but what is difficult is to say, okay, I will land down and I will have to walk up 500 meters more than if I land in the middle of the mountain. And I, I don't know how to explain it, but what is important is um, to be uh, realistic for what you can do and not try to push too much just to save uh, some one or two hours walk. And this is something you it's not a skill it's it's a it's a how you how you are and if you can be quiet it's an approach of the of paragliding which is not only uh, okay for i can fly but every time you fly uh to be uh, able to assess correctly the weather and what you can do or not and, and the vehicle flying all the i can fly race can be dangerous because it's a competition and you see other pilots doing stuff and you want to try. Okay, if, if he can do that, why, why not me? And that's what is difficult. Mm. But so, uh, in I Can Fly, I would say we do that end of August. If you want to participate, you you mean, it, it, I mean, it's what you have to be able is to to take off, of course, um, uh, f uh, with front wing, like, uh, I don't know in English. Sure. Yeah, Sorry. forward launch. Yeah. Yeah, forward Both sides. It's important, both sides. Mm -hmm. uh, also with the wind on your back, because some places it's really better with no wind, because we, we don't have a lot of wind in the mountain. Actually, it's the opposite. We have uh, um, sometimes backward wind, and it's very important to be able to take off with uh, the glider behind you uh, safely. And, and I see a lot of pilots that are not able to do that anymore because they don't train it. We mm. train um, more the takeoff looking at the wind, mm. at, at the wing. Mm. 
So that's just something that is um, going in my mind. It's not. Um, I have seen some strange stuff uh, with pilot trying to take off with the wind, with the wing, uh, uh, with no wind, and it was not was not good. So that that one thing. Uh, of course, be able to land in very um, small places. So try your accuracy when you land. That's also really helpful for this kind of race. And for the rest, uh, I like cross country, uh, but uh, I don't know what it's, I don't know what to say about that. Uh, like uh, be able to, yeah, to, to assess correctly the weather, to to find to to be able to to imagine where the wind valley are, like like when you are doing cross country. So I would not come to the work of life. I'm not able to make a. Let's say a 50k in the Alps. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's kind of a, the the, mm. the basic requirement there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would not start with the Vercofly. You have other races that are not in the high mountain uh, to start because it's uh, it's always easier to land in the field than in the mountain. And are you are you using huts then on on both sides of the Rhone? I mean what what are what what's kind of your playing field that you're working with there? Okay. So we have eight huts um that has been chosen 11 years ago in a very strange way. <laughs> I took a map and I look at Vercora and I looked south where the mountain are. And I say I want to design a, a V on the map with the huts. <laughs> and that's how it started. <laughs> so the huts, if you link them, make basically a V uh, from Vercora. Uh, uh, you have some some huts on the southeast and some huts on the west-east. Oh, sorry, southwest. And it make a big V on the, on, on the mountains. And that's how we have chosen the huts at the beginning. And the first edition, um, I knew personally only three huts on the eight. I never been to the other one, so I discovered the other huts with the, with the first participant. Hmm. That was the first edition. <laughs> now, now it has changed a little bit. And we always uh, we were keeping those eight huts as the um, um, the permanent hut, but we add other which are bonus bonuses outside of the of the field of the Vercofly. But those huts are not counted as one of the eight huts. They are counted as point like for the declared flights. So you can make points by flying a long way, but you add also points by collecting bonuses uh, outside of the field of the Vercofly. Ah, oh, cool. Okay, so the, you get you, there's there's other turn points, if you will, or other huts that you get a yeah, bonus for. Yeah, turn points, or we call them bonus bonuses, mm. uh, because Vercofly has changed a lot during the this eleventh year. At the beginning, we had a lot of funny uh, bonuses. Uh, you had to stop in an hotel to eat. Uh, uh, a, a tart, tart, how do you say? <laughs> the um, tart, a, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a cake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you had to swim in, the, in a mountain lake. Uh, uh, you had to kiss, uh, uh, to kiss a girl in the mountain, which was owning a hut. Uh, 
stuff like that. And you had to make a picture and send a picture. And we had a lot of bonuses like that. And it was really participating to the, to the, the fun of the race. And people were coming for that also. After a few years, we, we started to be more toward competition and we removed some of these bonuses. Next year, we might come again with some bonuses because I talk with uh, Kriegel, Pedal, and other uh, top uh, top pilots, and they say, you should not go too far in competition. Come a little bit back to a more funny race uh, because it's why, what we like. And mm-hmm. we come to the back of life because of the, where we can fly. It's beautiful, but also because we meet other pilots every night in the huts, and it's what makes this race special you are never alone you meet other pilots you spend time with them uh, everybody explains the flight of the day and so on and it's really what we want to 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 keep and we don't want to come to a, a race a, a pure race yeah yeah are you are you able to still participate yourself or is it just too much for you to do uh, this year I did not participate. I was on the race flying every day with, uh, with the other, but, um, more making movies. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but normally I try to participate. Yeah. Uh, I participated to, I think seven of, of seven back of life. Wicked. And so mm-hmm. because there's the huts, you're, what, what are the, what are the athletes carrying? You wouldn't need much, would you? Because you, you're having dinner at the hut, you're having breakfast at the hut. That's all provided by the hut. And then you maybe mm-hmm. have a couple little snacks that you can buy. At yeah. the, I mean, like when you start the race, what, what are people starting with? So when I start this race, what I take is my glider, harness, uh, of, of my helmet and so on. You have a track, a tracker that you have to take with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have some battery, save a uh, spare battery to, to, mm-hmm. your phone. to load the tracker and your phone, uh, because you need your uh, phone with you all the time. And then I have really nothing. I, I have, uh, some uh, dry, uh, t-shirt, uh, that I exchange when I stop, I stop walking, uh, and that's it. Uh, I, nothing, really nothing, a jacket. And of course, but, uh, I have less than 11 kilo. Wow. So, okay. So you've got, you've got a little bit of water. I mean, that's the nice thing about yeah. the Alps is you've got, you know, there's, there's water so you, everywhere. You water so you everywhere. So everywhere. it's not, uh, you take the water in the, in the small rivers. Yeah. Yeah. So brilliant. No, I, I carry nothing. I have like, um, for energetical stuff uh, to eat in case in case i need in case i i, I land it far from a, from a village or far from a hut but uh, just in case of emergency i would say you mentioned that you know maybe uh when you start you start to get into hike and fly and you're starting to think about this that maybe Verico fly is not the best one to start with. Uh, what are some recommendations? Because there, there's a lot these days. Yeah. So for the Swiss sport, I would start with races like, um, uh, called Jura I can fly. It's, yeah. it's in, in the beginning of spring. It's in the Jura, um, mountain are, are, are more soft. I would say it's mm-hmm. green. It's, uh, yeah. If the weather is not good, it's difficult to fly because the mountains are not high enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a nice, very nice, uh, nice place to start. You have 
You have uh, also Gruyere fly, which is uh, in Fribourg. It's yeah, it's not far from where I live from, but it's also a rate that is a little bit softer than than the Verco fly. Um, Say that again, uh, Gruyere, like the cheese. Gruyere, Gruyere. It's a, it's a canton, like a region in Switzerland. Okay. In the, Switzerland, Gruyere, like the same name as the, as the cheese. The cheese, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Gruyere fly. Okay. It's nice also, um, but you also can start with uh, one day or two day races that uh, it's good also. Uh, there is one race at the end of October called Mie Cup. I don't know if you have heard about it. No. Mie, M-I-L-L-E-T-S. It's also in the region of uh, Fribourg, and it's one day race. It's a different concept. You have uh, three mountains that you have to reach by walking, and then you fly down, making some exercise like touch and go, slalom, and stuff like that. So it's not based on the cross country, but it's based on um, how fast you are to climb and your skills for landing. For so it's very interesting to start with that also, mm. but it's it's uh, quite demanding. It's uh, Kriegel to win, make five more than five thousand meters climb, uh, starting at eight and finishing at four p.m. Oof. So it's a uh, it's a long race, <laughs> very tough um, physically. Yeah, that's that's a big that's a big day. We had but a couple of those really mix access, ups, but five thousand meters. It's, it's, it's accessible. It's at a period of the year where there is not a lot of thermals. Uh, so it, you climb up and you fly down um, uh, using your, your landing skills. And that's good. That's a, a nice one also. Mm. Um, a lot of people are, you know, when they when they start flying and they start flying in the mountains are, are quite intimidated by your neck of the woods because it's really the big terrain and you know your zermatt and fish and mm -hmm. uh you know you're talking uh, the grand combana you're talking you know some of the biggest mountains in the alps um how what what would you tell pilots that are new to your area what what are some of the things that they need to know uh to come fly in the valis I would say exactly what I said to our student when they have finished their license. Uh, if you fly between June and August, fly in the morning uh, and land before 1 p.m. Uh, so you will be able to fly all the east face with nice thermal, a nice condition, but not too strong. In the afternoon, it can be very strong and very difficult to land in those high mountains. And if you go down to the valley, the Rhone Valley, you quite often have like 40 K per hour wind valley. So better to fly in the morning when you are not used to it and then uh, go for long flight, uh, like in fish, for example, you should not, not start flying in fish for, I say all the day, uh, you can fly in the morning going up the, the Rhone Valley and down, but land quite early. That, that would be what I recommend. Mm. But then it depends on, on your skills. If you, if you have uh, 2,000 flights, okay, the Alps are, are, are like all other mountains. Not, sure. They are okay. Sure. But if you are, if you are a new pilot, thermal 
can be so very strong and wind valley can be strong. So sometimes difficult to manage. And because we have high val valleys, it's difficult to understand where the wind is going from one to the other. And, uh, it's, it's, it can be tricky. So fly on the east side in the morning to learn slowly. You're an instructor then as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. is, is, is paragliding now your job? Not hundred percent. I have another job. Uh, I am, uh, we are three associates in Twister. Uh, Antoine is the founder, uh, Antoine Lambert. Uh, he founded the school in 1998. Uh, and with Yves Gavoldi and myself, we, uh, Yves Gavoldi and myself, we joined Antoine, uh, 10 years ago and we, we are each uh, a third. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we bought a third of, uh, of the company, each, each of, of, of us, mm. but I'm not living. I am working, let's say 20% for, for the, for Twister as an instructor. I spend quite a lot of time for the Vacofly, uh, but I have another job. I was going to say, how, how much time does it take? Do you have to put into Verico Fly, you know, after after the race ends and before the next race starts? So in that year, uh, a lot at the beginning, but we never count that because if we count that, we stop doing it. Um, <laughs> um, uh, I, I would say uh, we 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 start the process process of, um, changing the rules and everything. We think about it, uh, just before Christmas, it takes us, uh, let's say 10, 10, 20 hours of thinking. Then we send the registration where the, we ask, we send the mail and newsletter to have pilot registering. Uh, that's not too much. We have to find a sponsor. So, so it's a little bit diluted during six months and then it takes, uh, we are more than one, but it's, it's a two, two full-time person for, for three weeks, let's say. Mm. Back to the in instruction, uh, or is, is Twister a school that teaches people that have never flown before is it, or is it more focused on more advanced pilots or everything? No, no, no. We have, we, we start with a new, new pilot from zero. Then, uh, really our core business is to, to train pilots to pass the license, the Swiss license. So we start with people that never flew before. Uh, normally we start with a three day, um, courses, uh, where people that never flew before will uh, will go to their first flight and then they decide if they want to keep, keep flying and make all the, all the training. Uh, but we work mainly with, uh, brand new paragliders. What are the three things maybe that you see as instructors that cause the most problems that you, you, would like to change? What, what are, what are the three things that newer pilots tend to screw up the most common? <laughs> huh. Difficult. Yeah. yeah. 
So first of all, I just want to say something. When you are in the school, normally it's not the time where it is dangerous. Yeah, sure. There are not a lot of accidents because you are with instructors that decide for you if the weather is okay, mm. uh, if, it's, if it's okay for your skill and so on. Then the year after you have the license, it's also okay because you still are really uh, not afraid, but... Uh, yeah, respectful. Uh, it, it, respectful, exactly that yeah. word. It's after that the problem starts. It's when you think that you have understand everything and that you you can uh, push a bit, a bit, little bit more. So what I would what I would like to change is make people understand that they can stay with a big glider for five years and learn a lot, do a lot of things with that, and not jump too much uh, toward the sea or even the D gliders. Because those big gliders are very good. You can do a lot of things with them and, um, and uh, they are safer. Mm. So maybe not pushing the pilots to buy too early. Other, um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, more, more demanding gliders. Mm. Mm. Um, the other thing is, I would say fly, fly as much as you can. Never stop flying. If you stop for, if you cannot progress and be safe, if you, if you fly every three months, try to fly every week. Mm. Year round. Uh, yeah, yeah. Year round. Yeah. yeah. And all the season are good. All this and para, paragliding is, is, uh, is just great because all the season are good. It's not only uh, uh, spring and summer. Uh, winter is good. You can practice with skis. You can, yeah, there are a lot of things to do. So fly all the year long as regularly as you can. Mm. That's great advice. And, uh, yeah. And yeah, it's, we have some, uh, some, um, discussion with other instructors and the Swiss Federation around the, the accident, um, because it's, it's your question, basically how to reduce accident. Mm -hmm. no? Uh, it's difficult as we, as we, as we talked before, um, it's very difficult to be, uh, to know exactly our own skills and not to, to go a step too far and take risks. So for me, if you practice a lot and you go slowly, you minimize the risk, even if the if the risk is always there, but I cannot give you three advice <laughs> like this. Uh, yeah. Go, go quiet with your, when you change a wing, um, and the rest are common sense. Don't fly. If you, if you have dropped, if something is telling you that it's not good today, don't fly. You don't care about what the other do. Uh, try to fly with other friends. Uh, that have the same level and share with them your experience mm. flying alone. Sometimes it's more difficult to progress and to fly safe. Mm. I, you know, I'm working on this, this book of the kind of highlights of the podcast, kind of, you know, listening back through them and pulling out all the really best, uh, advice and information from all the people we've, we've spoken to over the last bunch of years, uh, on the show. And, uh, Tom Dodorlado said exactly that. If there is doubt, there is no doubt. And I, I really, <laughs> I really like that because there's, uh, 
it, I think for all of us, if we can listen to that inner voice, it, it, it's pretty clear. <laughs> you just have yeah. to learn to listen you have to learn not to ignore it. And, you know, there are days that, you know, for whatever reason, that, that voice is pretty loud. And if you listen to it, you, you know, it's a good day to go yeah. swimming. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, because it's really what happened to me after nearly 20 years, uh, I was going to fly and something was telling me that it's not a good day. <laughs> and I was with a friend. I told him, I don't feel I'm not really willing today to make a long flight. I, I don't, I don't know if I should come. <laughs> and uh, I went flying anyway because I was with him, and uh, I had a crash, and that only big crash. And uh, some something told me that it was not the day. I was tired. Uh, I should have done something else. Mm. And uh, yeah, <laughs> what, could could we, if you're comfortable with it, what happened? What what was the what? How did you crash? Uh, I was flying uh, in the morning. It was in May. Uh, in the morning, uh, not not really bad condition. It was okay. And uh, as you know, in the morning you fly quite close to the ground to yeah mm -hmm. to to fly as as fast as possible uh, because we wanted to make finally a long flight. And I was flying close to the, to the, to the cliff. And I got, uh, I think a big turbulence from a thermal. I don't know exactly because it was in the morning. Normally it's okay in this region. And I had a big front front collapse, uh, and not, uh, not able to fly again soon enough because I was too low and I just crashed in the mountain <laughs> mm. and I took all the helicopter and uh, it was quite, quite bad. Uh, um, so that's, that happened even if, uh, if, if you fly, I fly nearly every day and, uh, that shit can happen. Mm. Um, but that day, if I had just heard to what something was telling me, I should have uh, not, I should have, uh, done something else. It's, it sounds like the lesson there is obvious to listen to that inner voice, but did your style of flying or your, your approach to flying after the accident change? Uh, yes, I think I, I, I put um, even more um, margin, we can say that. Yeah. I, I, uh, margin, uh, I've, I've tried to fly less close to the rock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, when it's the weather condition are not good, uh, I'm, it's more easier for me to say no. I, I go bicycle or do something else. And that's what has changed, yeah. And I think it's a good, it's, uh, finally it's good because uh, you paragliding is really um, um, addicting, we can say that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sometimes difficult to say, okay, no, today, okay, the, the weather is good. It's difficult to do something else. And now I'm able to do something else easier. I'm not say all the time, but <laughs> easier. Uh, how have you found it hard to balance uh, instructing and being part of a, a paragliding school and your own passion for XC? It's something I've always uh, avoided <laughs> for myself is making paragliding a, a job. I mean, in a sense, it is a job because I do the X Alps and you know mm -hmm. all the stuff and films and that kind of <laughs> thing. So it is a job, but uh, I've never I've never toyed with that 
aspect of it, even though I, I love teaching, but mm -hmm. I, I've, I've just, because I've been afraid, it's got like the tandem thing. I've always been afraid of becoming a tandem pilot because I don't want it to yeah. detract from my passion for, for flying. Um, I can understand it, but I have a really easy situation. I have another job for living and in, uh, in Twister, I'm making what I, uh, I, what I like organizing competition, um, doing tandem when I want teaching when I want. So it's not my daily job. So I'm really doing that, uh, really as a passion and it, it's, ne um, I, I, I would never be able to do uh, tandem every weekend, uh, every day of the, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. It's not for me. And I know that. So I, what I do is I, I, I say, okay, I'm free uh, Saturday for flying. If you need me at the school, if you need me, I come, if not, I do something else. I, I go flying for myself, but I, um, I choose, uh, let's say to, to, to work for the school, uh, less than, less, less than, uh, less than one day per week. Mm. I would say two days, two days per month. The rest of the time I'm flying for myself. Got it. That's, uh, that's a, that's a great way to balance it where you because don't really I have need it. Yeah. And, and for that, I really, for me, it's a real pleasure. I, I love teaching. Uh, I love making, a um, a slope uh, training, you know, on, on, uh, ground, ground handling with, with new, new paragliders. I still love it because it's really fun to see the guys starting, try, uh, trying to fly and everything. And that's still a big pleasure for me. But if I had to do that every week, it, it would not be a pleasure anymore. So when I do it, I, I do really with fun. Like the first flight, having a guy and training him to the first flight and bringing him to the takeoff and say, okay, now you can fly. And that's a really, I love, but I don't do that every day. I do that very, yeah, like once a month. Hmm. Laurent, that's, I, I know you have to catch a bus and we've had this amazing mm. talk, so we'll, we'll end it there. But I have one question that we may or may not throw into the actual show, just because I know you're such a fan of, of hike and fly and racing and you've, you've done the Verco fly now 11 years. Uh, I, I'm sure like a lot of people, you watch the X Alps. Uh, I asked this question of Kriegel when we did these kind of follow up right after the race, uh, questions. And I, I thought his answer was quite interesting. So I'll ask you, how could we make the X Alps better? For me, what, what come to my mind now is because, uh, I have done some quite a lot of, uh, I can fly races. I organize, I participate to others. And what I'm discovering now for the last three to four years is vol bivouac. So to be alone and able to manage yourself alone. You take the food, you take the cooking, the tent, and so on. And what the next step for me after I can fly is to make the same as XL, but with less, again, with no assistant, to mm. be able to find a way that people are by their own to cross the Alps. Yeah. I know it's very difficult because how, how to be sure that the guy will not have someone bringing foods at this place or that place. But for, for, for me, what it's, it would be more an adventure mm -hmm. to be, um, with less help, but yeah, it's what, it, what come to my mind now when, when you ask me, 
I, I really did not think about it. If it's feasible, it's, if it's okay, if it's interesting for the fans, I'm just telling you what now I like. It's working and be, um, uh, uh, Autonomous, yeah, yeah, autonomous. yeah. That I, I love that you're doing that with the Verco fly. That a, a very good friend of mine, Hansa Rishmanik, who who uh, represented the U.S. in in five Red Bull X Alps races. He, that's what he always said. He always said, "I wish we could just do it as the No Bull X Alps." And and by No <laughs> Bull, he meant just alone, just on your own yeah. and and self-supported. That would be yeah. that would be uh, pretty actually. Interesting. There is a race like that that exists that is not. Way well known. I participated last year, no, this year in March. It's called the Xberg Challenge. Yeah, in South Africa. In South Africa, with, organized by Pierre Carter. It's a four-day race, and uh, you have no, you can have supporters, but you can do it without. And they just put uh, some food in four different places on the race, and it's up to you to go there and, and catch the food that you prepared. Hmm. But for the rest of your time, you are alone in the mountain. Uh, if you take a tent, you take a tent. If you want to sleep outside just in your glider, you, you sleep outside in your glider. And I really like the spirit of that race. And it's, yeah, it's something I like. I don't know if it's feasible for a race like Red Bull, but I like the concept. Mm. Great talk, Laurent. I really appreciate it. Uh, I wish you the best with everything you're up to, flying and racing and the Verco Fly, and I really hope to participate next year. I, I, uh, I was incredibly inspired by that film, and those of you listening uh, will have the link up to these films and to the Verco Fly website in the show notes. I highly, highly, highly recommend you go watch it. It's that's amazing. So, uh, Laurent, congratulations, uh, and, and thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Gavin. And sorry for my English. Maybe sometimes difficult to follow, but I do what I can. <laughs> Your English is great. It's fantastic. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Welcome. If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher, or however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes cost. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription. And it makes all of this possible. Uh, I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people. And these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, 
you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, We've tried to make it really easy and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us, then just let me know and I'll set you up with an account. Of course, that'll be lifetime. And hopefully you're being in a position someday to be able to support us. But you'll find all that on the website. Uh, All of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought Cloud-Based Mayhem merchandise, t-shirts or hats or anything, you should be all set up. You should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your support. And we'll see you on the next show. Thank you.